Good morning, everyone. To those of you that I haven't seen since last year, Happy New Year. (laughs) Pray with me. Father God, we are so amazingly thankful for our lives and for the ways you are in our lives, whether everything is going great or we face difficulties, we just know that we are never alone. We thank you that you empowered us, that you encourage us, that you unite us to one another, Father, that we may be a blessing to each other. I pray today, Father God, that your anointing be upon me as I preach your word. But not let it just be upon me, but let it be upon all of us who also hear. That we may recognize uh, the Lord when he speaks to us today. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love us, Lord. Anoint now the teaching and the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name. In your bulletins, there is, I believe there is a loose sheet or perhaps the last sheet in your bulletin, uh, which invites you to take notes. And so uh, please do that. Um, One thing I'm aware of is that sometimes even after the sermon is finished, God is not finished speaking. And he may still bring to you some recollection that you heard today or perhaps some recollection of something he said or he said to you beyond what I said that you need to pay some attention to. So I want you, if you feel the Lord speaking to you, if you feel the Lord is is just saying something or bring something to mind, write it down on that sheet because I want you to deal with it later on in prayer. And, and deal with the Lord. So expect the Lord to speak to you this day. As I said at the beginning of the service, uh, before I led you into the acclamation, um, I said to you that we're celebrating today the baptism of our Lord, the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in order to celebrate the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have to return to the area of the Jordan River. We need to go back to the Jordan River. And uh, I, I have a, a, a map up in the screen uh, to kind of give you an idea of more or less where we think that John the Baptist appeared and started baptizing. To the east of, uh, of Jerusalem and, and to the east of Jericho, that regional area of Bethavara, is where John just showed up one day and started speaking in the name of the Lord and drawing people to, uh, to baptism and repentance and so on. So we're going back to the Jordan. We're going back to, to the river. And we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, and so there's no other place to go but here, to the Jordan River. I want you to uh, imagine yourself standing Uh, by the shores of the river and watching all these people being baptized um, until it's your turn. 
So just, just imagine and then imagine Jesus walking uh, into the river uh, and, and himself being baptized and all that was read today in the gospel, the, the heavens being parted and, and all of that. Just imagine that you are watching all of that taking place. Just enter the gospel. Enter the story of the gospel. Uh, John the Baptist is one of the uh, central figures in the history of redemption. Um, John the Baptist. I, I want to focus a little bit when we're looking at the baptism of Jesus. I want to focus a little bit on this individual that we know as John the Baptist. And please recognize that John the Baptist is not John the disciple. Okay, just, just make sure that you understand that there was John the son of Zebedee. Uh, who was a disciple of Jesus and wrote the gospel. And then there's John, whom some people sometimes call him John the Baptizer, which is a, as good a title as, uh, as any, John the, uh, the Baptizer. And he's one of the central figures of, of the baptism of Jesus and, and the beginning of the story of, of salvation. What we know from Scripture about John the Baptist is that he was sent. Uh, he he was sent by God. He was sent by God to announce the coming of the Messiah. To announce uh, the coming of of the God's Son incarnate to save the world. When I think of John the Baptist, I think of the forerunner the spearhead of the whole story of salvation. He's, he's the man that appears when Jesus had not yet fully appeared in mission or in ministry. He's the forerunner. He's the one that appears and begins to proclaim the Messiah's coming. The incarnate God had become flesh and he dwells among us and he walks among us. And he's about to discover himself, and he's about to show himself. He's the forerunner. He's the one that appears when nothing else seems to be. And he starts pro proclaiming something that is yet to come. We, are, we hear in Scripture that he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. One crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. But I also want you to recognize something that a lot of people don't sometimes recognize. And it's that John the Baptist is the link. The link between the Jewish rituals of purification. The Jewish baptism forms of purification. And what eventually becomes Christian baptism. Okay, he's the link between the two. Jews understood that in order to become to the presence of God, they needed to purify themselves, especially if they had sinned or if they had touched a dead animal, a woman if she had had the menstrual period. Whatever it is that they felt contaminated an individual and didn't allow him to come into the presence of God, they had those services and those um, rituals of purification. And they had like pools that people would go and, and be purified before coming uh, to the synagogue or coming uh, uh, into the temple. 
He's the link between that type of baptism or that type of immersion, because he was by immersion, and what eventually becomes the Christian baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I also want you to recognize that John the Baptist, his baptism wasn't fully the Christian baptism. It was a baptism of preparation. It certainly was not a baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't even in the picture yet. He was just preparing people and calling them to take some radical events or some radical actions to purify themselves, to prepare themselves, to go through this baptism formula, but only for repentance. Eventually, when Jesus comes, we see people begin to get baptized first in the name of Jesus. Because, I mean, at first it was Jewish people who already had the Father and the Spirit, but needed to align themselves with the Lordship of Jesus. So when you read the book of Acts, at the beginning you see people being baptized in the name of Jesus. But eventually, as Christianity spread throughout the world... They don't have the Father. They don't have the Spirit. So then the Trinitarian formula of baptism becomes effective. And all Gentiles at that point need to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because baptism is, uh, is a, a, a ritual in which you um, declare your loyalty and your surrender to this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But John the Baptist is the link between these two things, purification and just pure purification, and eventually uh, the allegiance that comes through baptism. I just want you to see John the Baptist as that, that link that holds both things uh, uh, together. The other thing I can tell you about John the Baptist is that John the Baptist was a very peculiar man. The description that we find of John the Baptist, he was not like other individuals. Uh, in fact, he may have been a little strange, a little strange. Um, we hear in the, all of the Gospels pretty much that he uh, was wearing a garment of camel's hair, camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey, bugs and wild honey. That, that was his, his food. He was what I would consider a real man of the wilderness, or perhaps a wild man. A wild man. He was, from all that I can determine in Scripture, he was rough. He was not a polished man. In fact, when Jesus is asked about John the Baptist, Jesus says, what did you come to see? Did you come to see somebody arraying in beautiful clothes? He says, no. Did you come to see somebody dwelling in great plushy properties? He said, no. What did you come to see? A prophet? Yes. And more than a prophet. That's Jesus speaking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a rough, tumble kind of guy. Uh, strong, I, I would think he's strong, unkept. And one of the things we know about John the Baptist is that John the Baptist was not affected by the politics around him. 
John the Baptist was not affected by the politics of Herod. He was not afraid of Herod. He was not afraid of Rome. And he certainly was not afraid of the Jewish religious leaders. In fact, that's because of what he had to say to Herod, wherever he met Herod, whether in public or in private, he would just tell him he was a sinner that had taken his, father, his brother's wife for his own. And he would just bring him out and, and rake him over the coals for his sins. Eventually, it is Herod that puts him in prison and eventually beheads him. And when it comes to his, the way that he dealt with the Jewish religious authorities, you remember how he used to shout at them, you brutal vipers! I mean, John the Baptist was not a man that held himself back if he had to call somebody to look at their sin and to look at their need of repentance. In Spanish... In, in, uh, in my Spanish culture, and I've said this to you before, but I, I love repeating it because it just tells you a little bit about who I think John the Baptist was. But in my Spanish culture, there is a saying uh, that someone who speaks the way John the Baptist speaks, it's somebody who doesn't have hair in his tongue, meaning that the words don't get caught in the hairs. It's just smooth running. Okay, John the Baptist has something to say, and he would say it to whomever he needed to say it, wherever he needed to say it, because in him was truth, and he challenged people. He challenged everyone he met. That's the kind of person he was. He didn't protect himself. He just needed to say something in the name of the Lord, and he would just say it, whether it was Herod, whether it was a Roman, whether it was the Jewish authorities. That was John the Baptist. And we can see what it cost him. It cost him his life. John the Baptist appeared and quickly disappeared. He didn't last a long time. Perhaps just a few years. Actually, not even. Maybe a year, maybe a few months. I mean, consider that if Jesus... His ministry was three years and he was crucified. John the Baptist died very early in the ministry of Jesus. John the Baptist did one thing. John the Baptist was faithful. He was faithful. He did what he was commanded to do. He did it and then he gave his life. He came and he went. And yet he'll never disappear from our memory or from his importance in the history of salvation. John the Baptist, a man to be looked up to, and I often think, how much do we need John the Baptist today? How much do we need people who are not going to be just politically correct, but are going to speak the truth where the truth needs to be heard? that are going to preach the kingdom of God, whether people want to hear it or not hear it, who are going to act according to the word of God, whether it's light or not light. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, a man of the wilderness, a man used by God to, to enter this world and, and to serve as the spearhead of the coming of Jesus into his ministry. 
when asked about John the Baptist, beyond what I just said about what Jesus said about him, Jesus also said that among, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John. Of all those born of women, there have never arisen one greater than John the Baptist. Why not? Number one, because all the other prophets, all the other prophets of God pointed to something they had never seen or will ever see. John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus the Messiah and he actually got to baptize him. But it also says that we are greater than John the Baptist because we get to have a long-lasting relationship with Jesus. We get to be Jesus' disciples. John came and went quickly. But it is said by Jesus that of all those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Now, what did John say about himself? You all know, you've heard it. When questioned, he said he was not the Christ. He was very clear. He was just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He was not the Christ. And he was not Elijah that was being expected. And he was not the prophets. Any prophets come back. He says, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But after me comes one that is greater than I, whose sandals I am unworthy to even untie. And I want you to notice this. He says, I baptize you with water. But he who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit and with fire. But his job was to baptize with water. So besides John the Baptist, looking at the baptism of Jesus, the most important figures in the whole baptism scene is Jesus, right? The most important figure here is Jesus, but not just Jesus. I want you to recognize the whole Trinity presence in the baptism of Jesus, we are told that Jesus comes to John. John at first recognizes him, and in fact, he keeps saying, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But he recognizes him, and as Jesus comes to baptism, Matthew and Mark tells us that John said, no, I should be the one baptized by you. How can you, you know? And Jesus says, no, I have to fulfill all that the Father intended in Scripture. So he baptizes him. And the moment Jesus is baptized and he comes out of the water, we're told that the heavens parted like a sheet. It's just an open door, an open door. And from heaven descends the Holy Spirit in the best description that, are, that is given is that he came as a dove. He clearly was not a dove, okay? Holy Spirit is not a dove, but he came like the wind. He came like something that flew from heaven, from the most highest heaven, and flows down and comes upon Jesus. And then the, the voice from heaven is heard. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
So you have the son being baptized, the spirit coming upon the son, and the father declaring and bearing witness that this is his son. You see, the father only spoke this way twice in all of the New Testament. At the baptism of Jesus, because he was beginning his ministry at that point. The second time that we hear the father speak this way is at the transfiguration, where they're in the mountain. And Peter and John and James wanting to be build booths and stay up there. And the voice comes down again and says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And that is the beginning of Jesus journeying to Jerusalem to die. So at the two pivotal points in Jesus' life, the Father breaks through from heaven and declares that this is his Son and that he's pleased with him and that we need to listen to him. At the baptism, the beginning of the ministry of salvation, and the transfiguration, the fulfillment of what Jesus came to do as he traveled to Jerusalem to die. Those two times, the Father bears witness as to his Son. But in the baptism, we see the Holy Trinity agreeing that the Son of God had come into the world, had become human, and, and had come to do the Lord's ministry. And the Father is pleased with the Son. Those are the figures, most important figures that we see in, in the baptism of Jesus. But I also want you to recognize something else. I want you to pay attention and recognize that in the story of the baptism of Jesus and the statement of John the Baptist about who Jesus is, there are two baptisms mentioned. There are two baptisms mentioned. John says he came to baptize with water, but Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Holy Spirit baptism is Jesus' baptism. John's baptism is baptism with water. There's two, two baptisms being mentioned here about Jesus. I baptize with water, but he who's greater than I, whose sandal I can't even untie, he will baptize you not with water, but with God, the Holy Spirit, in you. Let's take a look first quickly at the baptism uh, with water, the baptism of John. How many of you have been baptized with water? The large majority, if not every single one, the large majority of you are baptized with water. Let me, let me bring this to clarity as to what this baptism with water is about. The baptism with water is marked, first of all, by a recognition of sins. There's too many times we baptize people who have not recognized their sins. There are so many times, at least in the tradition I, I came from, and even the tradition that I'm part of today, so many times, especially uh, we baptize at times people out of tradition. I was baptized as a child, so my child was born. He's now three, four, five, six months. I want to baptize him. And sometimes we priests, pastors, don't even meet with the parents to make sure they're believers. 
We don't even pay attention whether the godparents are believers. What are we doing? Christian baptism is first of all marked by a recognition of sin in my life. A recognition that I am a sinner, that I have failed my God to live the way he has designed me to live. Recognition of sin is the first thing. Secondly, repentance of sins. There has to be repentance. And repentance is not just, I'm sorry. Repentance involves turning around and walking in the opposite direction. It's actually saying, I'm going this way, I'm wrong, I'm going to start walking this way. Recognition of sin, repentance of those sins. And coming to God and asking for forgiveness. But Christian baptism is also marked by change. Change that is visible. Change that is visible. And change that announces that we have a new king in my life, in my house, in my heart. Christian baptism is first marked by a recognition of sin, by a repentance from those sins, and by a new allegiance, a new submission to a new Lord, a new God, a new way, a new kingdom than the way I used to live. That is Christian baptism. And if you were not baptized that way, I'm not asking you to rebaptize. I'm asking you to live into your Christian baptism and make it an effective and real Christian baptism for asking God for forgiveness and turning your life around so that the whole world knows that you're not just a wet Christian, but a baptized Christian. Amen? Amen. That's Christian baptism. The second baptism that is mentioned here by John I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' baptism. It's an unavoidable baptism. We can't just be content with water baptism and leave holy baptism away. These two baptisms are required of those who will follow Jesus. Water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism. This is Jesus' baptism. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. How many of you here are baptizing the Holy Spirit? This baptism is marked primarily with empowerment. Empowerment and gifting for service of God and for his kingdom. The baptism of water is for change, commitment, recommitment, and renewal. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for empowerment for you to get off your rears and begin to serve God with all surrender, with all power, and without obstruction. It's an empowerment that comes upon you. What I sometimes call an uncorking. You know how you have a bottle of some kind of wine or whatever or, or champagne and it's corked up and all the, the fervescent is inside and the moment you uncork it, it, it goes all over the place. Water baptism does something internal. 
Holy Spirit baptism, that's something external. It changes you into a dynamo for God and for his kingdom in the power and empowerment and gifting of the Holy Spirit that comes to live for you and in you. Water baptism changes you inside. Holy Spirit baptism changes everything outside of you because you become effective for the kingdom. You become fiery for the kingdom. You become excited about the kingdom, passionate about the kingdom. You're no longer going to be a regular Christian. You're going to be an empowered Christian that will go do what the Lord has asked you to do. And all of scripture calls us to live that kind of life. I no longer live for myself, but I live for him, for Christ. Holy Spirit baptism does that. That water baptism doesn't necessarily do it. It's when the bishop comes and he prays for, for the confirmants and he starts speaking prophetic words into the person and invites all of us to speak prophetic words into an individual. He's asking the Holy Spirit to come upon that person. Holy Spirit baptism is different from water baptism, perhaps. So I want to talk a little bit in, in the next few minutes, I want to talk a little bit about this Holy Spirit baptism. When do you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, I can identify two experiences, both from my personal life and from reading Scripture. The first experience that I, I recognize in, in holy baptism or, or in baptism with the Holy Spirit is that I believe that you receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of new birth. I think when, when you are born again, when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, when faith comes into you and you open your life to the Lord and you declare him as your Lord and Savior, I believe the Holy Spirit moves in and he begins to rearrange everything inside of you. Your attractions, your passions, everything begins to be removed and moved and changed. And you begin to fall in love with Jesus like never before. And you begin to fall in love in, with the word. And you can't have enough of the word. And you want to read it. And all of a sudden you want to pray. All of that is the Holy Spirit beginning to move inside of you. And changing your life from sinner to saint. And it doesn't happen in one day. But the Holy Spirit, the moment you give your heart to the Lord, the Holy Spirit moves in. And I believe the Holy Spirit begins to grow you and mature you and encourage you, and change you, and make you more aware of your sins, and make you more aware of your need for a Savior, not just a teacher, and you fall in love with worshiping God. All of that is the work of the Holy Spirit transforming you and I who open ourselves to God walking into our lives, the Holy Spirit moving in. You've experienced that. You've experienced that you're not the person you used to be. That you're in love with God like you never loved him before. That you're in love with his church like you never loved the church before. That you're in love with the word like you never loved the word before. All of that is the product of God's Holy Spirit moving into your life. So I believe that the Holy Spirit moves in at the moment of faith. At the moment of new birth. At the moment of conversion. 
But I also believe that there is an aspect in which that uncorking also happens. And what's going on inside of you bubbles out outside. And that's where I've experienced, and I believe in Scripture, we find of people who, who just become fire for God and passionate for God. And they just don't want to sit in the pew. They want to serve. And they want to tell others. And they want to experience and learn their gifts. And they want to know more. And they get involved. And they move from this ministry to that ministry. But they want to be effective for the kingdom. That is an outward manifestation of what God's been doing inside. That's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And the supernatural gifting that some of us receive. Or all of us receive for the work of the ministry, for the work of God, for the healing of the sick, for all of the, all the scripture speaks about all of the ministries, from administration to evangelism to giving to all the charismatic gifts. All of them become effective on those people baptizing the Holy Spirit. And I believe even, even John Wesley, he spoke about the second blessing. He called it the second blessing because the first blessing is what happens when you become a Christian. And then he recognized that something else happens. It's what we see in so many revivals that we study about through the history of the church. Whether in, in East Africa or, or under Spurgeon or under so many people where people come and it had nothing to do with a great preacher. It had to do with all of, the, all of a sudden the spirit moving and convicting people of sins. And people began to change their lives and people began to cry and confess. And it spread, it spread like the Azusa revival. That is what I call the, the, the uncorking. The Holy Spirit comes into your life the moment that you open yourself to the Lord and that you confess Him as Savior and Lord and there's a conversion experience. I believe He begins by moving inside of you, rearranging things, getting you to fall in love with God. But eventually there is an outward manifestation an uncorking, a second blessing, or whatever you want to call it, filled with the Spirit, um, whatever the terms, I don't really care what the terms are, I just want to see it happen all over the place. I don't care what you call it. We get caught up on issues, whether it's the baptism of the Spirit, the infilling of the Spirit, the, I don't care what you call it. Just open yourself to what God wants to do in your life. And become all that God wants to do. He wants to move in you. And God is not stationary. God is moving and powerful and almighty. And he wants you to move in the same, in the same way. That's Jesus' baptism. John the Baptist is, I baptize with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Well... Scripturally, there are two ways, but experientially also. Uh, one way, the Bible tells us simply to ask the Father. Just open your heart to the Lord. Just say, oh God, I want all of you. I don't just want part of you. I don't just want the Father and the Son. I want it all. I want the whole Trinity. 
I want everything that you want to do in my life. I'm opening my heart to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, give me your spirit to live in me. The Bible says that if you being evil parents compared to God, if your son or daughter asks you for something, you don't give them something bad. You give them good. How much would God the Father give his spirit to those who ask him? So one of the ways we receive the Holy Spirit is simply by saying, Father, let me tell you, I believe with all my heart that God wants his spirit to dwell in you. I believe he wants to do it because otherwise he would not have sent him on Pentecost. I believe he wants to do it. The question is, do you want to have him live in you? Are you ready for him to become dynamic in your life and transform everything about you inside and out? Are you willing to become a John the Baptist? So one way is to just simply ask the Lord. I've heard people go into a church and just ask, come Holy Spirit, and they get filled with the Spirit. I've, I've heard that. My, my brother-in-law was that way. He was driving down the freeway. He felt it compelled to stop his car, go into a church he'd never been to. He sat down in one of the pews, and he asked for the Holy Spirit, and he was baptized with the Holy Spirit right there and then. Nobody else, no laying on of hands, nothing. He, God gives his Spirit to those who want it. And the second way I find in Scripture is the laying on of hands by other believers. Other believers coming around you, you want the Holy Spirit, you open your heart to, to what God wants to do, and, and, and other believers uh, be, lay hands on you, perhaps anoint you, and start praying for the Holy Spirit to come in you. I believe God wants to give you His Spirit. The question is, do you want His Spirit? Because He'll transform you, and He'll transform your family, and He'll transform your church. He will give you a passion that you've never experienced before. I baptize you with water. That's what John said. That's what I do in a way. I baptize you with water. That's what priests do. But He who's coming would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Holy Spirit baptism is Jesus' baptism. I also want to just quickly, because I'm a little bit past my time, that Jesus also would baptize with fire. It is judgment. The fire is not the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's the fire of judgment upon those who reject him. And, and notice if you keep reading that it says that the winnowing fork is in his hand, and, and he will throw the wheat up in the air, and the breeze will take the chaff and, and pile it over there. But the wheat being stronger or being um, weightier will fall down to the ground. And Jesus is just throwing the wheat up in the air. And eventually you get the wheat over here that goes into the granary. And the chaff gets burned forever. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that's what John the Baptist is talking about. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John baptizes with water for repentance, the start of a life, the moment of birth, the moment of allegiance to Jesus Christ. And these two, these two baptisms are present here in the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And 
I invited you to come to the river shores and to watch this happen and to watch the spirit. And I just hope that your imagination took you there uh, and that you recognize that you are, you're an amazing people. God has so loved you that he gave his son for your salvation and the Holy Spirit for you to do the work of the kingdom. So we need both baptisms. Baptism of water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I pray you will seek it. And you will learn more and, and ask for more because sometimes, sometimes our lives really can use the empowerment of God. Sometimes we're weak in our Christian walk. And we need the power of the living God in our lives. Amen? Amen. So I hope this teaching is a blessing to you today and that you will seek farther. Uh, read the passage again. Study more, seek more. Because God has many things to teach us.